It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. the side of midnight i'm frank moreno i have um, long been an advocate of greater civic education in this country and that's one of the many reasons uh, i'm so glad that peter Feynman is out there doing the work that he's doing he is the founder and president of the institute of history archaeology and education that's a nonprofit organization which provides enrichment programs for schools professional development programs for teachers and public programs of of all types kind enough to get up early and join us on the radio this friday morning peter it's great to talk with you thanks for joining me well, thank you for reading my blog, and thank you for inviting me. Certainly. Uh, Peter, tell us a little bit about uh, your organization, the Institute of History, Archaeology, and Education. Well, it's founded uh, more towards bringing teachers to the historic sites here in New York, based on the principle that to teach not just civics, but to teach uh, social studies and history you need to be familiar. You need to actually go to the places, talk to the curators there, walk the landscapes, and get a firsthand experience of of these places. And even if you can bring your kids there on a field trip, you've at least been there. You've taken your pictures. You've met the curators. You've talked to professors. You've talked to authors, and you've developed contacts. So these are programs I've run, uh, not too many now anymore, unfortunately. It's kind of died out. Uh, in the Hudson Valley, the Capital Region, the Champlain Valley, and the Mohawk Valley. Hmm. Well, no, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. Are you as concerned as I am that um, civic education in this country, not just among children but among adults, really isn't where it needs to be? Well, my father believed that uh, politics was a hands-on sport. And the way to learn about it was just as you would learn about anything in school, whether it was a musical instrument or or playing a sport, is you had to do it. So he began bringing kids to, I grew up in New Rochelle, to the city hall in New Rochelle, where they would run mock uh, meetings of of the uh, city hall council. And he felt if you're going to be a voter at age 18, you need to start learning uh, you know, where it happens, the room where it happens, although that phrase hadn't been invented back then. But you need to learn about that, and uh, you should do that at the local level, the county level, state level, federal level, if you're going to be an active, uh, productive citizen in this country. Well, uh, fair enough. Uh, I really was interested in a column that you wrote uh, a couple of weeks ago about the lessons that we should be learning from the twenty two the twenty twenty two primaries, and one of them is that, according to you, all primaries should be 
open. Briefly, if you can, uh, Peter, explain to folks what an open primary is and how that's different from a closed primary and why you think the elections this year have made that point that we need open primaries. Well, there are two issues that came to mind when I was writing that. That uh, One, why are we as taxpayers paying for private organizations, which is what a political party is, to select their own nominees. And secondly, related to that, is why are we having plurality candidates instead of majority candidates? So in an open primary, which you have already, Alaska, for example, just had that in the uh, Sarah Palin um, uh, congressional election, and uh, California and some others do. In an open primary, instead of you're just being like proprietary, it's like you have a credit card for a certain hotel chain or gas station, and remember you could only use it at that hotel or that gas station as opposed to anywhere. Well, an open primary is uh, they don't care about political parties. It's anyone who's a candidate for a given position is eligible to run for that position in this in this election. It's not just the primary, it's the election too in November as well. They're related. So instead of having a Republican primary or a Democratic primary, you simply have an open primary where, let's say, as we just had in New York, uh, all the people interested in running for Congress uh, are on the ballot and anybody can vote for any regardless of their political party, regardless if they're independent or not, they can then vote and participate. Independent people, which is a huge percentage of the population, can vote in these proprietary or closed primaries that are limited just to members of that political party. Now, I am very sympathetic uh, to your argument, and the first point that you made about the taxpayers having to foot the bill for these private clubs to have their nomination contest, that's one of the reasons that I've always been for open primaries in uh, New York and wherever else. But just for the sake of of clarity, I just want to make sure we're using uh, the correct terms because a lot of states do have open primaries, uh, South Carolina, for instance, Michigan. But sometimes we use the terms top uh, open primaries to mean the same thing. We use the term to describe things that aren't open primaries, like in Alaska and Washington. Washington, for instance, has a top two primary. Uh, Alaska has this top four primary. Now, the Supreme Court has defined and political scientists, they've defined open primaries as a system where each party has its own nominees and its own primary ballots, but any voter on primary day is free to choose any party's primary ballot. In Washington uh, and in Alaska, there are no primary ballots um, and, and no party nominees. So it's not quite an open primary, but I get, I get, what, you're, I get what you're saying. Well, Alaska offered the second part, which is the ranked voting, which we had in the New York City mayor election. And that is when you have a lot of candidates, let's take the recent congressional district in New York, number 10, where you had many candidates and the winner had 26 percent of the vote. Right. It's ridiculous uh, that the person right. that's going to Congress was opposed by 75 percent of Democrats. But, right, that's but what in- I'm saying, about, excuse me, if I can finish that, that means with the ranked voting, you then take 
the 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 person who does the worst, and you say, who is your second choice? Sure. And you keep eliminating them until you get somebody who has over 50%. So Alaska had a lot of candidates for that congressional office in, in the primary you're talking about. They chose four. Uh, one dropped out, and then three ran in the runoff, so to speak. Nobody had 50%, so you took the second choice of the third-place uh, person, and that gave someone 50%. So we not only got rid of political parties uh, having their own private right. election, but uh, we also we, we got just, rid of pluralities. Got it. No, I, I just um, I just want to make sure everybody's clear on their oh, terms okay, so they don't they don't think a top four primary is the same as an open primary because they are two very different things well, and produce state, very different results. But um, it, just in terms of the open primary situation, I, again, I'm for this. And when I've been in the leadership of political parties in New York, we voluntarily opened our primaries to uh, unaffiliated voters so that they could participate. But one of the rubs against open primaries, and I've heard this from both Democrats and Republicans, is they say, look, you know, um, why should people that aren't Republicans have an ability to pick Republican candidates? And they would often use the argument, make, usually theoretical, but in this year's it actually it's come to, to come to pass, um, where they're then in a position to nominate or help nominate the weakest general election candidate in the primary. Now, we've seen Democrats uh, actively funding and embracing um, ultra-MAGA Republicans and election deniers in states like Michigan, Maryland, even uh, even New Jersey, Illinois. Do the folks that have this concern, do they have a, a bit of a point? No. This isn't saying a party can't choose its own candidate any way it wants. It's just saying it can't stick the taxpayer with the bill to do it. So I live in a village, which is part of a town. We have village trustees. We have town trustees. We have a village mayor and a, a town supervisor. How are these people selected? Well, the parties have meetings at local restaurants, and they pick people. And the people who were there at the restaurant vote for who they want. Now, at the end of the day, they don't say, okay, here's our restaurant bill. We're going to stick it to the taxpayer, and you're going to pay right. for it. Right. No. It's their point. So if the Democrats could still and Republicans still in an open primary – could choose their own individual person to be their candidate on the open primary. They just have to do that on their own and not come to the taxpayer and say, oh, we want your help in selecting it. You know, that's not the way it should work. Got it. Well, so I guess you, you are advocating kind of for a, more of a top four system rather than an open primary system. Well, the second step is then to do the ranked voting, whether it's top four and how many runoffs you want to have is, is up to each state to decide. Alaska did the top four. But it, it, in uh, Alaska, you actually had two Republicans in that four. Uh, so it wasn't right. a question that the Republicans – In w what I am suggesting is the, the – 
right way then would be the Republican Party and the Democratic Party would each choose their candidate on their own, however they choose to. It's strictly up to them. However the National Rifle Association wants to pick its leaders, it does that on its own. It doesn't come to the taxpayer and say, help us do it. You're a private organization. You pick your candidate. Every public candidate, every public election paid for by the taxpayer covers everybody. I love the idea of being able to participate in elections that I'm paying for. I have uh, some concerns about the Alaska system because I just wish they would use ranked choice voting from the get-go like we do in New York City uh, special elections that are nonpartisan elections because I, I think it's confusing to the voters to vote one way in this round, another way in that round, and it's also a waste of taxpayer money to p- need to pay for two rounds when you have one. But um, getting back to your piece here, um, Peter, why do you think the lesson of open primaries, or if we're extending that uh, to be a lesson about top, uh, you know, t- nonpartisan primaries? Why do you think that's a lesson that we've learned from this year's election? What about this year's results suggest that this is worth pursuing? No, it wasn't necessarily this year. I probably had this thought in my mind on and off. There are actually some organizations, and I can't recall their name, I would tell them to you, uh, that have been promoting this as a way of getting around this. Because if you combine the open primary, particularly with the ranking, then you have to tend to reach out to the general public, the larger voting public, and not just the narrow base, because the narrow base generally is not 50%. So you need to start think about more than just uh, that base that supports you. So combined, these two eliminate the problem of the plurality candidate uh, as well. Uh, and so... Um whether it's this year or in previous elections, what um, what's an example of you think the system working well and a trend that people can observe that we should make a, a switch towards either open primaries or nonpartisan primaries? I'm not quite sure what what you mean on that. We've had open primaries. You mentioned some states. Uh, I have not done a detailed study on the states throughout the country or the well, cities so, like well, New York City that have done it. Um, but yeah. I can. I so let to... me let me try and rephrase the question. So, um, is there what can you point to as a success for either nonpartisan primaries or open primaries? What's gone well? Well, California has been using open primaries, and that seems to have worked for them. Um, I can just use that as an example. And we have the ranked voting here in New York City, as in the mayor election, whereas we did not in the congressional tent. And that shows you you can go into Congress with 26 percent approval of voting approval. Okay, Uh, but so in New York, for instance, um, ranked choice voting in the Democratic primary, Eric Adams also got the most first choice votes in the first round. So he would have won under the old system as well, right? Right. I'm not saying this will necessarily change the final results, but at least it will give the winner the opportunity to say, I won 50 percent of the vote. I'm the majority elected, as opposed to saying, as you pointed out earlier, over 50 percent did not want you. Got it. Which okay. is the way we have right now. 
We say that uh, you know, even at the presidential level or other elections. You say the majority doesn't want you to hold that office right. or to be the nominee. And by having the open primary and the ranked voting, you get rid of that issue. So, yes, no, the majority did vote for me. All right. Well, Peter, I appreciate your, uh, your work on this. And uh, please keep us informed on uh, any of your other efforts uh, that you're, you're working on with respect to either nonpartisan primaries or open primaries. And certainly we're always interested in uh, developments when it comes to ranked choice voting. Thanks very much. Okay. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. This is uh, The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 